Well, good morning, church. Uh, we find ourselves in the last sermon through the book of Ephesians this morning, which I can't believe we started in September of 2019. Um, but we are here, and so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to take us through the book kind of one more time. I want to do a flyover together and remember some of the rich, amazing goodness that God has given us in this book. And, then, and when we think about this church in first century Ephesus, hearing these words, what they would have heard um, in the immeasurable, immeasurable richness that has come to them in the person of Christ and in the word of God. And so Paul starts off this letter. And if you read chapter one, you will see over and over and over again that he continues to say things like in him or in the beloved or in Christ Jesus. And he is driving home into the psyche, into the uh, affections of these people that they are caught up in the person of Christ. That uh, God has done something so immensely powerful, so immensely amazing that we find ourselves as Christians in Christ Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. And, and then we have this incredibly great news that's given to us right here in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so we acknowledged that there's a tremendous and immense mystery to this, but we rested assured, freed and secure in the person and the work of Jesus, knowing that he saved us, that God's infinite plan of salvation uh, that is infinitely brilliant and good and wise and kind is that he would have chosen us before the foundation of the world. Now, here's why this is good news. We now have concrete evidence in God's word that he didn't save us based on how good or bad our past was. So no matter where you find yourself, if you are a person that is trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth and placed your trust in Jesus, your past has no bearing on your salvation. Why? Because he started your salvation efforts before the world was formed. Now, here's why else this is good news. Because if you're like me and you have caught a glimpse of the pureness and the holiness of God, and you've seen his righteous, perfect standard, and you've looked at yourself in a spiritual mirror where you saw yourself accurately, um, which is a devastating thing, and you compare God's standard versus what you've seen in that spiritual mirror, you need mercy and grace that transcends the merit or what you've done to earn God's favor. And so if we are found in him to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world because he, of his great love for us, that he adopted us as sons and daughters in the person of Christ, then our merit has no bearing on our salvation. And so again, if you are like me, if you know, um, if you know yourself well, you would rest deeply in this truth. This would calm your soul. This would catalyze great, uh, while yes, mystery, affections for Jesus Christ. Because he rescued you. 
and he saved you, independent of your past. And, and not because of your merit, but in spite of what you've done. This is the goodness of Christ that we see in the scriptures. And it also tells us that we have a plan, that God has a purpose for us. So, so despite what I was told, I was planned, right? So uh, it, the angels weren't going like, hey, red alert, Ford and all came out. He's out in 85. We had planned for him to come out in 97. Uh, that's not what happened. God has a purpose and a plan for us, um, and he's divinely and beautifully created us to live out the way that he's created and called us to live out because he has a plan for our life. Something that he, in his infinite wisdom, cultivated before the earth was formed. Friends, we are caught up in something immensely beautiful. We are caught up in something amazing. We are caught up in this unfolding drama of God's redemptive story uh, grace and mercy on our life. And he does all of this for a purpose. What is that purpose? And so we kept reading in Ephesians and we, we saw what his purpose was. And he reminds the listeners and the hearers of this letter in Ephesus um, that the Bible and God's word and God's world, it's God-centered, not us-centered. That God is not doing all of this to make much of us, but to make much of him. And it says that he does this to the praise of his glorious grace. And so we rest in this truth, knowing that God is doing something to make much of God. And we get to be a part of this grand redemptive story. And then we kept reading and we see later on in Ephesians that we are uh, sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit that we have this eternal security knowing that the Holy Spirit is our deposit, knowing that God is going to come back and take what is His, namely, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we, we rejoiced in that goodness, that we have the Spirit inside of us who has sealed us, equipped us, given us spiritual gifts uh, to edify the body, to edify one another, um, and to delight in God more fluidly as we have a person of the, of the Trinity that is indwelling inside of us as believers. What amazing news. And so um, we, we then see that Christ is exalted in this, that he is seated at the right hand of God. And then we get a gut punch. Just takes all the breath out of us. And Ephesians 2 starts. Here's what we see. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul reminds us that all of this goodness that he's just expounded on in chapter one is not something we were born into. Rather, we were born in, by nature children of wrath is what the scriptures tell us. Uh, and so we are born in sin. We are following the ways of this world. We are by nature children of wrath. And so uh, while all of this redemptive story is immensely beautiful and it's good and we've been adopted into this story, it didn't start that way and we needed something to happen. And so we see uh, two of the best words that create a phrase in the Bible and we read this, but God. And so that's the condition we're in, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so our story was that we were dead. Uh, dead people don't earn merit. Dead people don't uh, long for Jesus. But we were dead and by the spirit of God, he breathes life into us. And then we are raised up and seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And then Paul continues, Ephesians 2, 7 through 9. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Once again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are reminded that the Christian life ought to be one of great humility. That Christians who walk with a swagger should be an oxymoron. That we should not be proud men and women walking around, but we are beggars who know where the bread is by the one who is the bread and the manna from heaven who gives life. See, here's the thing, as Christians, the best part about you and I is something that we didn't do something that was given to us. And once again, it wasn't given to us because of what we've done, but in spite of what we've done. And so we are men and women um, who are, are those who have been humbled to our core, knowing that Jesus had to die for us because of our wickedness. And we are encouraged and we have such great affection that stirs for the person of Christ because we know that in Jesus, he was glad to die for us because he loved us so much. And this is where we find ourselves in the Christian walk. We didn't get our lives together. The, the Spirit of God breathes life into us and we're reminded that we are saved by grace alone in Christ alone, through faith alone, all of these things that we didn't do. And so we rejoice in that. And then we, re we remember that we are God's poema, his poetry, his craftsmanship, that um, God created these things to stir our affections, to move towards right living, righteous living, that we would live in accordance with uh, the good news of the gospel, because in that path, we find life and we give glory to God. And then we see that we are, as we do all this and we're created in Christ Jesus, that because of we are in Christ, we have to be one. We have to be unified. And here's what we see in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and they would have known about this dividing wall. So literally at the temple, Jews and Gentiles would come together to worship God and there was a wall that would divide them. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Um, Christ Jesus came to break down dividing walls, not to build them. And so we as a church, we will lament places that we are divided amongst the body of Christ. We will lament the places that fellowship is broken for secondary issues. We will celebrate and we want to be a place where there um, is no partiality uh, amongst socioeconomic classes. We want to be a people who don't find ourselves sort of moving towards herds and camps that look like us or think like us, but we want to lay down preferences, um, put out 
immense amounts of grace and move toward one another because that's what Christ Jesus came to do, to unify the church, the body together. It actually says that we are growing into a temple. So uh, imagine a Jenga set, right? Uh, Jingo, whatever. You take off the little pieces, you build it up. The higher it goes, the more it's fractured, the, the more likely it is to fall. We cannot be fractured, we've got to be one, and the reason for that is because this whole thing is not about us. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about our preferences. Instead, it's about God, because here's what we see in Ephesians 3:10, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God is um, using the church to declare something about himself. And so our unity, or lack thereof, is a theological declaration about who God is, both to each other and to the watching world. And God designed it this way, that we would be a picture of what unity can look like, because we are embodying the person of Christ Jesus as we together are in him as a church, declaring theological truths to one another and to the watching world. So we have to be unified because we are making theological statements, and we don't want to be heretics. We want to be those who love God, love his word, and are, because of his word, moving toward one another with great affection, wanting to make much of Jesus. This is why uh, infinitely holy, good, pure, beautiful, lovely God would mess around with dirty, jacked up people like me because he's making much of himself in this. Because he wants to make much of his work, his majesty, and display his goodness and beauty to the watching world. And so we actually see this, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, says that he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In other words, um, there is a way that we are, ought to walk in accordance with the gospel. The gospel does inform our actions tremendously so, continues, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as we were called to um, the one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul tells us that we are to take off the old self and to put on the new self because we are found up in a oneness and we actually see in uh, Ephesians 4.32 how we ought to put off the old self and put on the new self. And it says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Those are immensely strong words. Like We can't just gloss over that. That he's saying, okay, as we're pursuing relationship, as we're pursuing unity, as we're pursuing this um, this right theological understanding of the church, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our actions towards one another. Here's the guardrails and the guidance he gives us. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? A little bit? As God in Christ forgave you. 
And so our theology about the atonement, our theology about what God has done to reconcile us back to God um, informs how we ought to live out towards one another. And this truth then in Ephesians extends to our spouses. And we talked about that in um, our uh, relationship with children and even our employees and employers. Uh, and then Paul says this, he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then we see, and we've just unpacked as we put on the whole armor of God to fight against the enemies and the dark forces that are against us, trying to wage war against our souls, against our unity. Um, and he says, put on the whole armor of God. And as we close this magnificent letter together, we pick up where we left off, Ephesians chapter 6, 18 through 24. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you go back and you read Acts 19, you'll see kind of the context that Paul's speaking into. Um, these guys were, had uh, their whole economy, uh, much of their economy was built around people that were making these little doodads um, of the goddess Artemis. And um, Paul was going, you know, God's made with human hands aren't really much of a God. And it's great logic, but it's terrible for their economy. So they throw together this right, and there's so much persecution that Paul's boys are like, no, nah, bro, you can't even go into that, that, uh, that discussion because they might kill you, right? Like that's the level of heat going on. And so when Paul says, keep alert, persevere, there is uh, something very clear. There's a spiritual battle that these people know that they're in. And so for us, when we have to keep alert and persevere, it is my contention that we need to keep alert that there is a spiritual battle going on around us and that we need to persevere to remind ourselves that there is a spiritual battle going on around us. Because I do believe that um, suburban culture can kind of just lull us to sleep, forgetting that we've been entrusted as ambassadors to herald the good news about what God has done in the person of Christ. And this is what Paul is really getting at because he continues, he says this, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul's saying, pray for me. I'm, he's literally in chains, in prison, and he's going, but I'm still an ambassador for Christ. It's still my responsibility to take the news of my heavenly kingdom and administer it out as a minister of reconciliation, letting people know that God is making his appeal to them through Paul. And he's saying, pray for me that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ, the gospel that saves, that we could say with our mouths that we believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that nobody comes to him except, uh, no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And we could say that uh, with our mouths that he is, um, that we are saved by grace and through faith in Christ alone. And yet are we boldly proclaiming that? I'm not saying we click a share button. I'm asking, are we building relationships such that we can tell people about the greatest news that's ever happened or ever will happen, that they can be reconciled to God through the person of Christ? 
Have we forgotten in this day and age that we are ambassadors, that we are entrusted with uh, the news that God has saved mankind in Christ for those who repent and believe the good news of Jesus? Have we forgotten this truth? Have we been lulled to sleep to where we're no longer asking people to pray for us, that, that words may be given to us so we can boldly proclaim that? Friends, that's what I can, am concerned about. What I'm concerned about is that we are not keeping alert and persevering through the things that can dull us to sleep. And so we have to wake up to the things of God and what God has calling us to do with the purpose he's given us in our lives. And we close the letter. Paul says this. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who loved our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul ends this letter, and first he says, grace. Grace, an unobligated giver, giving to an undeserved receiver. Be to all. He's, he's saying, all of you who hear this, receive grace. Know that grace has come upon you in the person of Christ and what he's done. And then it says, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I think Paul is personalizing this. He's saying, I've sent my brother to you to let you know that we're well, um, that, and I want to remind you about grace that is offered to all. And so I want to personalize this to you. Maybe you've been gathering with our church digitally for a while and we don't even know you yet. Maybe you've been a part of the church from the beginning. Maybe you're not a part of our church at all. If these words are hitting your ears in some way, shape, or form, the Lord Jesus is saying, come to me. All who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. He give, gives it freely as a gift. It costs nothing, and in fact, nothing you do can earn it. But he's saying grace to all. And so I want to personalize this and tell you, if you've not received the grace of Jesus, do so. He's offering it to you. He loves you and he wants you to come to know him and enjoy the fellowship that comes from knowing him uh, forever. And if you have done that and uh, you're not walking with somebody through what that means, please reach out to us. We would love to know that. Let me pray and close our time in this marvelous letter together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we are found in Christ. We thank you for the spirit that uh, seals us into the day of redemption. We thank you that you have given us salvation as a free gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone revealed to us in your word alone. We thank you that in doing so, you've reconciled a body to yourself. 
and that you've called us to live aligned with your goodness and truth. God, we thank you for how that instruction affects relationships. We thank you that you have emboldened us with the gospel of truth. And we thank you for the grace and mercy that you've given us by sharing your son, sharing your word. We love you. We pray all this for your glory. Amen. Amen. Blessings, church.